How many of you are excited to get into the Word today? Let's get into the Word. That's, uh, I think, the most important thing um, at a church to, to really understand what God has to say uh, to us. And we want to go back into our Under Pressure series. This is the last Sunday of that series. And I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 5. This whole series is about uh, 1 Peter. And 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter to, um, to a church in, Nor- in, uh, in Turkey, basically, in Asia Minor. Um, and this church was living under pressure. They were being persecuted uh, by, by other people here in, this, uh, in the Roman Empire that were de- they were basically a part of. And um, Peter basically tells them how to live uh, their lives with uh, under that pressure, basically. And, and this chapter deals with uh, leadership. I want to talk to you about leadership a little bit today. I want to kind of expand that term a little bit more so that we all feel included in that as well. And, um, you know, we're two weeks ago, we, I was talking about the ecclesia. How many of you were there when, when I talked about the ecclesia? Yeah, that's uh, not, not, not everyone. So uh, <laughs> can I encourage you to go online? Look up that message uh, called, uh, about the Ecclesia. Uh, it's called the, the Called Out Ones. That's the title of the message. And uh, this, because this message is really foundational for, for what we're doing here at a church. And, and, and knowing that God has uh, basically, um, Jesus built his church in the darkest of darkest places. Like Jesus goes into the darkest place and that's where he builds his church. And he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And too often we're like fighting, we're thinking, you know, the devil's stronger than we are. We don't have to think that way because Jesus is stronger and he's building his church and the gates of Hades, the gates of, of hell will not prevail against it. And you know, the cool thing is that there, um, you know, God calls us all to be a part of that. He says that we're a spiritual priesthood. We're all called to be priests. You know, when, when, when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we're, we are a priest. You're not dependent on a pastor. You're not dependent on, on a priest. You're not dependent on, on religious figures for your own relationship with God. You can go to Jesus. You can go to God through Jesus directly. And that is good news, that, that we can go to God directly. But I want to talk to you about leadership in the church today because it's, there's an important lesson that we can learn right here. And John Maxwell, a very, very well-known leadership writer, says this, everything rises and falls with leadership. Everything rises and falls with leadership. Bill Hybels, the well-known pastor, he said this, the local church is the hope of the world and its future rests primarily in the hands of its leaders. And when I read this, you know, I've used this quote so many times. But I started to think about it this past couple of months when, uh, when I really started to, when things really started to dawn on me about, about the ecclesia and about, about um, you know, mobilizing the church. And, and I was like, man, there's something missing in this, in this quote. And in fact, Bill Hybels realized that as well. And he said something uh, later on uh, that was like, he was kind of like qualifying his own statement. He said this, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right it is the hope of the world. So he said, when it is working right. I, I said the term already, uh, but the term, uh, the local church mobilized is the hope of the world. That's probably um, what we need to look at. Because the local church, if it's just an institution or, or like a building or even a gathering where we gather together on a Sunday, we keep the seat warm, it's not going to change the world. But Jesus places the church in the darkest places to make a difference, to see something supernatural take place in Hilversum, in Huizen, wherever we are, wherever you live. And, and, and so he's encouraging us, he's, he's challenging us in this. He wants us to be mobilized for, for, for mission. And so, so 
Hybels was right when he said the ch local church, when it is, is working right, because when it's not working right, we're, we, we, will be drawn, we will be pushed towards the, the fringes of society. We will not have the impact that God wants us to have in, in the world outside of us. The local church needs to be mobilized for the mission that Jesus has for us. So 1 Peter chapter 5 speaks about leadership. And, and, well, in fact, it doesn't really speak about leadership. It talks about eldership. It talks about elders. And, and I want to kind of get, get a little bit deeper into the text and to, to kind of understand what Peter really is trying to say here. Because the word elder, when you, when you go back to the original Greek that Peter wrote in, it, it, he uses the word presbyteros. Presbyteros. Maybe we could all say that. Presbyteros. Presbuteros. And it's, it's derived from a, from, a, from a term called presbus. And presbus means, means older. It means senior. It's like everybody over 40 years old. Then you're old, right? I am. So those are the people that, that, that in his mind are the spiritually mature people. And there's something uh, special on them. They're not necessarily just mature age-wise, but they're mature spiritually. And, and I, I believe it's really important for, for a church like this where with so many young people that those who are spiritually mature actually get involved in ministry, actually start to invest in the lives of other people and especially of spiritually younger people. You know, the Bible uh, in, I believe it's in 1 Timothy, speaks about certain qualifications for, for eldership. What, what are some of, the, um, some of the qualifications? What do you need to look for when you appoint someone as an elder? And, um, and here, uh, Peter does something, something similar. And, you know, here at Thousand Hills, there are certain, um, certain roles that we have um, that we would expect those people to have, who have those roles that they, uh, they, actually, um, they actually meet up, um, they meet with those biblical qualifications for eldership in terms of maturity. Uh, I would think of the lead team, which are basically our lead elders here at the church. Um, they're, they're supposed to be spiritually mature. I think of the hub leaders. Now, what are hub leaders? Those are, uh, that's, that's the leadership structure over all our small groups. That's our, our primary um, vehicle for, for caring for, when we care for each other, you know, our, our small groups. And we have hub leaders over them, and those are usually spiritually mature people that, um, that you can look up to, and you can basically follow them in their footsteps. There's uh, many ministry directors that are spiritually mature. There are connect group coaches and connect group leaders that, uh, that also are spiritually mature people. And they have enough spiritually, spiritual maturity so that they can be considered elders um, as such as well. But we need many more like those to step up to help others grow in spiritual maturity. And, and I, I truly believe that when we take that step, you know, maybe God has been tugging your heart about this when you're spiritually mature. Hey, I want to invest in the life of somebody else. You know, I believe that when that happens, when you take that step, that God is actually going to help you grow spiritually. You know, may, could it be that God has been waiting for you to take that step? Hey, I want, to, um, I want to invest in somebody else's life. And until you take that step, you're, you're, you're basically going to be stagnant in your relationship with God until you take a step to start pouring into the life of somebody else. And that God starts to grow you to the, next, to the next level in your journey with God. So I want to I dig into the text. Now I want to start up with 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And, and, and Peter says this, the, fellow, the elders who are among you I exhort, 
I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He says, I exhort. When you, when you, hear, when you hear the word exhort, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a term that, that, that kind of shows a bit of passion and, and, and a little bit of a push, like, hey, I want to exhort you. I want you to do this. And, and usually when we, when we think about that word, we think about, you know, that somebody's kind of like, uh, over us who's kind of like saying something to us and uh, it can even sound arrogant when somebody's exhorting us to do something. But that's not the, the real meaning of the Greek behind that term exhort. It actually means something like, hey, you come alongside of somebody else. So, so, so Peter, as a fellow elder, he, he kind of uh, stands next to the elders right here in, in Asia Minor, in, in, in Turkey, present day Turkey. He says, hey, I, wanna, I want you to know a few things from my own experience. I'm not talking down on you. I'm just right next to you. I'm at the same level as you are. Very interesting to see that because because Peter was an apostle. Peter was somebody who saw Jesus, you know, crucified. He he was one of the people that that, that walked around with him for three years in Israel. He was like, he had an apostolic authority, but he doesn't appeal to that authority right here. He says, no, I'm I'm standing right next to you as a fellow elder. He's, I'm nothing better than you are. That's what he says to them. He says also that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And uh, of course, he saw Jesus suffer, but he also sees the church suffer in, in a time where uh, persecution is, is breaking loose in, in those days. When, when basically, when, when, when the way, when Christianity was separated from, from the Jewish religion, it, it caused a lot of persecution in those days. And he says, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, a fellow, you know I'm a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ in, within the church as well. He also says that he's a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. You, know, you got to remember the story where Jesus was up on, on, um, on the mountain with, um, with, with, with John and, uh, and, and, and Peter and uh, I believe it was James. And they were there and, and Jesus shows his glory. You know, he, um, you know there's Moses who appears and, and, and Elijah appears right there. And, and like they see his glory with their own eyes. And now he says, hey, there's something better that's even going to be revealed to you. I saw this, but you'll see something that's way bigger than that. It's like Jesus coming back and he'll show his glory to the whole world. And and you get to be a partaker of that. I get to be a partaker of that as Peter, but, but you also. This is something for all of us. There's a glory that's still to be revealed. So he exhorts them. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, to what does he exhort us? Verse 2 says this, shepherd the flock... Of, which God, uh, of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. It says two things, shepherd. Shepherd the flock and services overseers. And it's very interesting what's going on right here in the Greek because uh, Peter is using or, or alluding to several terms that basically mean the same thing. That are all uh, basically showing uh, different facets of, of the same ministry. He's using the term presbyteros, right? We already saw that earlier, so the term elder. But he's also using the term poimaino, which means uh, it's derived from the word poimen and means shepherd, pastor, shepherd. Then there's the word episcopeo, which is derived from episcopos. And the word episcopos uh, is translated into English as bishop. This is really interesting. So basically what Peter is saying right here is that that the function of elder and pastor and bishop is all the same thing. 
But in church history, he made it something different. It's like the bishop is more important than the pastor or, or, the, or the elder. Or the pastor is more important than the, than the elder. It's not like that. He uses those terms interchangeably. They're all important in the leadership of the church. But he uses those words to basically show two important functions that, that elders have. The first one is, yes, he says, you need to care for the flock. You need to care for the covenant family of God that is entrusted to you. Make sure that their needs are met. Take care of each other's needs. You know, um, I'm a firm believer that, that as a church, as a covenant family, that, that I as, as a pastor have, a, have an example role, and I'll talk more about that in, in, in a little bit, but I believe that we care for each other. Church is so much more than an institution or a place you go to on a Sunday and then just leave right after, right after the amen is said. You know, we stick together. We, we do life together. We help each other when we go through rough times. That's what church is all about. So, so he says you need to care for the flock. You need to take care of each other's needs. And as, as, as a pastor, as an elder, you, you're, you're supposed to give the example in that. But you also need to oversee the flock. And this is really interesting. So, so on one hand, you're, you're like right in the middle because that's what the shepherd does, right? He's always right in the middle of the sheep and he will smell like the sheep, right? The, sh- the sheep will know that, that he's their shepherd because he has the same smell as they do. He's like right there caring for their needs, caring for their every, everyday needs. But at the same time, he says, hey, you gotta, you gotta take a little bit of a distance and oversee it. It's like you need to have a bird's eye view over, over the flock over the church. You need, to, you need to see what's coming. You need to see what dangers are coming that can destroy the, the church. And this is, I believe, what is so important, that the, the task that God has given to me and to our lead team and to other leaders here in the church is that we, we watch. We watch if there's any destructive um, theologies or, 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 you know, uh, other, other cults or so that are trying to, make, trying to have influence in the church. We watch that and we address it because we want to protect you. We want to make sure that, you're, that we're firmly rooted in the word of God and what the Bible really teaches and not what somebody else is making up about it. We want to make sure that we're, we're rooted in the word of God. So we, there's pastoral care that's needed. There's, you know, there's, there's mutual care for one another. There's one-on-one discipleship. But at the same time, there's this bird's eye view. And, and, and we, we watch as leaders what's coming, what's, what's, what's happening around the church. And let's protect the church for, for those things. For, let's protect the, the flock, the people, for those things. So, so that they can experience more of their salvation. They can grow in sanctification and holiness. And they leave behind the patterns of the world that are so trying to suck us into them. So how are the elders supposed to shepherd and oversee the flock? So interesting. Peter gives three contrasts right here. He says this in verse 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He says, not by compulsion, but willingly. You know, leadership is an honor. Getting up close to other people to invest in their lives is an honor. It's a big honor. 
And you should never feel like somebody's pushing you to do anything or manipulating you to do anything. That should never be the heart motivation. That should never be your motivation to do something because like, hey, there's this big need or whatever, you know, uh, in this certain ministry or that certain ministry. No, you do it because, because you really want to do it. That's why we, we do things. We do things not by compulsion, but, but willingly. We ha- our heart really has to be in it. Really. And he says, not for dishonest gain, but, but eagerly. Well, dishonest gain, <laughs> interesting to think about that, because like in the Dutch context, in the European context, I don't think there's many pastors that, that are like making fortunes. I am not. I have, a, I have a reasonable income. I'm not complaining here. Don't get me wrong. But that's not really, I mean, some other cultures, it could happen that pastors have a big, you know, have a really big salary. And I have my questions about that own questions about that. However, um, being in spiritual leadership role, being in a spiritual leadership role as an elder or a connect group leader or some other function, um, and you have a business or you got something that you want to sell to someone else, you know, basically what he's saying here, don't use your place of influence to, um, so that other people will, will look up to you and will buy your product or, or, or go along with your company because you're just there and they see you as a leader. That can never be the reason. You should never take advantage of your, spirit, your spiritual role in the context of the church because Peter's very clear about it, not for this honest gain. It's, we can't use our platform in the church for our profit. But eagerly, again, we... We can do it eagerly. We can serve God eagerly. And he goes on, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Don't lord it over people. Don't, don't force people to do something. You know, don't make use of your role to, to kind of say, hey, you got to do this. But we lead by example. So I think it's, it's one of the most important things about spiritual leadership that, that we're never going to ask you to do something that we as leaders are willing to do ourselves or even have done ourselves. So when I, when I give, when I talk about the, um, um, like the um, Heart for the House offering, I'm going to personally, my wife and I were personally going to participate in this offering. And, and, and God told, us, told me a amount and told my wife the same amount. I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but it's like, it's, it's hurting. But I feel so important that we can't talk the talk if we don't walk the walk. We need to give the right example. If, you, if God is calling you to spiritual leadership in this church, be willing. Know that you gotta live, from the, you know, uh, live to, to give the right example to, to other people. And you know what? I, I, I like giving the right example in our home situation as well. You know, we um, just... A couple of months ago, we, uh, probably a year ago, we, we got ourselves a new dishwasher. The other one broke down. And I'm the best dishwashing lo- dishwasher loading person in the world. <laughs> and I want you all to learn from me. And I especially want my wife to learn from me. And I have permission to give this example, just so you know. The problem is sometimes she... She's first in the kitchen instead of me to clean up the dishes. And I'm like, get out of the kitchen. I want to do this. I want to give you, I want to show you how it's done. Because I know when she does it, 
um, the, the, the small plates are going to be in the places for the big plates and so on. And, and the, the big plates are not going to be, be it's still going to be dirty and other stuff is still going to be dirty. And I have to clean it up anyway the, because yeah, that's what I do in the morning. I clean out the dishwasher. So I'm like, please, honey, please look at my example. <laughs> Every time she uh, looks at me, it's like, stop, stop doing that to me. Just let me do it the way I want to do it. I'm like, you can't be helped, honey. <laughs> so um, next day, I'm always complaining to her like, honey, the dishes still didn't get clean again. You know, you washed it. <laughs> uh, and, but God is showing me time and again, I got to keep loving her. And I will. I'm committed to her. Honey, I'm committed to you in spite of this. <laughs> committed to you. <laughs> It's so sad when you try to give an example and people just don't follow it, right? But we still got to keep loving people in, in the midst of that. And then verse 4, Peter continues, he says this, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's a crown of glory, uh, you know, and they had those in the, in, the, in, the, in the Roman Empire, you know, those, those, those leaves, those, what are they called again? They have these crowns, these, um, Sorry? Laurel, yes, thank you very much. They had them on there, you know, when you were a victor in a, in a, in a fight or something like that. You put it on your head. But the problem was that after, after a while, they started to dry up. But he gives, God gives one to you with unfading glory. That's what he wants to, uh, wants to give to us. And you know what? The real pastor of this church, I, I said this before, but I want to repeat it because this is so important. The real pastor of Thousand Hills is not, is not me. It's not our lead team. It's not anyone else. It's Jesus. Jesus is the pastor of this church. And I get to pastor alongside of him or on behalf of him as an under-shepherd. The same is true for our lead team and anybody, anybody else who leads in this church. We're, we're stewards of the influence that he, he gives to us. And Jesus, the, the chief shepherd, he will come back. Uh, he will appear when heaven and earth are, are brought together again, which is something that will take place in the, in the future. And I think in the near future, and Eden will be restored. The Garden of Eden will be restored. And when he comes, he will have a prize for those who serve faithfully as his under shepherds. There's a crown of glory. There's a victor's wrath waiting for, for, for those of us who, who live their lives, not centered around themselves, but, but with Jesus in the middle, serving other people. How did you serve the people that I placed in your life? That's the question Jesus is going to ask all of us. And every person in, in leadership, in ministry, we all feel low, we all feel discouraged, we all feel down from time to time because you know, there's a burden of decision-making and leading teams and pastoring people and trying to give an example and they don't follow it, right? But, but you know what? It is all worth it. All the heartache, all the pain, it's all worth it because we know that when Jesus comes back, he's gonna say to us, if we've been faithful, he's gonna say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear these words when Jesus appears. How many you want to hear that when Jesus appears? Can I challenge you? If you are a born-again believer, to do all you can to live a life about which Jesus will say that very thing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Make a difference in the lives of other people. Make a difference in their lives. 
You may think, hey, I'm not spiritually mature enough to, to be considered as an elder. It's fine, but spiritual growth is not an option. This is not some voluntary thing that we, that we, we seek after. You know, Jesus wants all of us to grow spiritually. And I don't know about you, about your life, but, you know, I've, I've, I've had times in my life where, where I was moving like two steps forward and one step back. How many of you have ever experienced that? How many of you have ever experienced a situation where it was like one step forward, two steps back for a long time? But you know what? After a while, God's going to help you, you know, when, you're, when you stay, when you keep your eyes focused on Jesus to actually do three steps ahead again and you'll get ahead of the game. You'll be victorious. You will be a, um, you know, you will go spiritually. We just cannot stay where we are. There's always spiritual growth that God has in store for us. We just cannot get stuck where we are today. So Peter appeals to the newer and to the younger believers. He says this, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Submit, that's a dirty word, isn't it, in today's culture? Yes, all of you be submissive, whoa, to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit to your elders. This goes against human nature. This goes against the culture of today. But that's where you find true blessing. If you as a young believer, if you, if you decide to, hey, I want to submit myself to those who are a little more mature, spiritually speaking, I know God is going to bless you for, for taking that step. He says, be clothed with humility towards one another. None of us are more important than anyone else here at Thousand Hills. Everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Everybody. And it means also that, you know, uh, that... Um, as a younger believer, yes, I am supposed to submit to the, to the elders, to the more mature people in the church, spiritually mature people in the church, but it goes the same way as well because the Bible is very clear about the fact that we all submit to one another. So an older, a more mature, spiritually mature person will also submit to the younger people. But there is something that the youth in our day with the youth culture and, you know, everything is about staying young and whatever. God wants us to, as younger people, he wants, he wants you to take that step and to submit to, to, to really allow them to speak into your life. Because those, the people that actually are willing to do it, to be, you know, to submit to the elders, to submit to more mature people and to be clothed with humility, those are the people who get the room to grow and who will go to great heights in the future, spiritually speaking. There is room for spiritual growth for all of us. For, for those who are already spiritually mature, for those who are brand new believers. And as I wrap up this message, I wanna, I wanna look at um, four ways on how we can grow in our spiritual potential. I wanna give you four take-homes and they're gonna go really quick. So make sure that you'll pick them up as well. First Peter 5 verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the whole world. Now, how do you grow in your potential? How do you grow spiritually? Peter says, 
humble yourself because God will lift you up. Humble yourself. When you humble yourself before God, when you humble yourself before other people, God is going to lift you up. You know, a man on his face can never fall from his position. We need to, be, we need to long to be lifted up by the Lord. There, there's a crown of glory that is waiting for us when we humble ourselves. It starts with humility. It starts with humility. You know, um, I don't know if you ever try to talk to kids and get them to do something. I've learned that talking down on them usually doesn't work. Sometimes it does, but usually you gotta raise your voice quite a few um, notches and shout at them to let them do something. And it doesn't, uh, you know, for the environment, for the, for the atmosphere in the home, it's not really good. So you, you gotta go down to their level. You know, we have twin boys, they're eight years old. You gotta, you know, if you want something from them, you gotta talk to them, look them at the eye, in the eye. And, you know, the discussion that, that I have with, with our boys is about two things. Close the door, switch off the light. It's that simple. If I, when I have these rights in two, three years from now, we'll be all good. But I gotta go down to their level because that's when they really pick up what I'm trying to say to them, when I humble them myself to their level. And of course, I, I can use a little bit of pressure. I say, hey, uh, Miles, um, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta switch off that light because if you don't switch off that light, I'm gonna take it, um, subtract it from your uh, pocket money. I don't do that, don't worry, I don't do that. I, I've been tempted to do it, but I haven't done it. Humble yourself because God will lift you up. Second, take home how to grow in your potential. Give your worries to God, give your worries to God. Cast your cares on Jesus and leave them there. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow, it only saps today of its strength. I've never seen a person who is a consistent warrior with an O, not an A, succeed in anything in life. But when you're a consistent worshiper and look up to Jesus, with every setback that you experience in life, you're going to pull through. You're going to, your, your world is gonna get bigger. You're gonna grow. God has so much more for your life, you know? And the thing is what I keep seeing over and over again is that when, when, when people have burdens, you know, they have this backpack of burdens that they're carrying around with them. And it's like, you know, you, you, you try to talk to them about it. I said, hey, why don't you leave it at the cross? Why don't you give it to Jesus? The, the burdens that you're carrying with you, the pain from the past or whatever it is, leave, bring it to Jesus, give it to Him. And sometimes they do it, they leave it at the cross. That's why I love having those crosses here in this building. Leave it at the cross. The next moment, and I'm not watching, <laughs> pick it back up again. Take the burden with them again for the next day and the next week and the next month, next year. When we leave our burdens at the cross, we gotta leave them there. Cast your cares on Jesus for he cares for you. Just leave them there, don't, don't pick it back up again. The third take home is this, be spiritually alert. You know, Peter said that the devil goes around like a roaring lion. We gotta be spiritually alert, you know. The devil's trying to get us. He's trying to, you know, with every, every day of our lives, when we're not focused on the right things, when we're not focused on Jesus, he's trying to pull us off track and, and, and let us stray away from, from, from God and let us stray away from the community of believers like Thousand Hills because he wants to kill us. He wants to separate us from the flock. 
We got to be spiritually alert and we do that together. We got to watch and pray. We got we to gotta carve out daily time in our schedule to, to spend time with God. And let me encourage you to do that in the morning. Why do you do it in the morning? Because that sets your day on fire. It really gives you the right direction in life from the beginning of the day. Instead of starting doing it at night, when you're tired, when there's no more different decisions that you can make, it's so much better to start out right in the morning and have the right course, the right direction with Jesus in your life. And the fourth take home is embrace suffering. Embrace suffering. Peter's very clear about it, that there's going to be suffering. And it's so interesting to see that some Christian streams, they're saying, you know, if you, if you suffer, if you're sick or if something else happens, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is not what scripture teaches us. Peter is very clear about it, that that there's suffering, there's going to be suffering. If you stand up for your faith, there's going to be suffering. Jesus suffered. If Jesus suffered, why would we expect not, not to suffer? The disciples suffered for their faith. You know, all of them died because of their faith, except for one, that was John. They suffered. If they suffered, we can expect to suffer for the decision to follow Jesus as well. If there's any other message that you're getting you know, let me be your spiritual overseer. Let me say to you, hey, be on guard about that message because it takes you off track from what the Bible really teaches. But you know what? With all the suffering, the things that go on around us, there's an amazing promise that for us when we commit to grow in our potential. Verse 10 and 11. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, Again, suffering, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, when we lead and serve for the glory of God, we, we get to share in his glory ourselves. And this may mean suffering for our faith for a while, but the amazing promise is that when we're all in with God, and we're all in with his covenant family, the local church, he will perfect, in other words, make complete, he will establish, which means to prop up. He's gonna, you'll have something to lean on. He will strengthen you and he will settle you. It's amazing when, when we get to live our lives that way. How many of you are, are, are thankful that we can be strengthened by the Lord, that he settles us, that he gives us a strong foundation to our faith. Just give some praise to the Lord right now. Now, I've been a pastor of this church for 12 years, and let me tell you this, it hasn't always been easy. You know, when you go through, uh, you know, when you lead, there's going to be transitions and you can be misunderstood and, and all sorts of things. But, but you know what? It is so amazing that in the midst of, of, of things like that, that you know that Jesus does that, that he perfects and establishes and strengthens and settles you in the role that he's given to you. And we can all experience that in our own way in our own lives. So I wanna, I wanna take a moment right now. I wanna pray for, for the young and the old. I wanna pray for the spiritually mature and the you know, brand new believers. I wanna pray that God is going to do something amazing in our midst in this coming year and, and following that, 
that we really get to be involved in each other's lives and that we really get to disciple one another, you know? I can't do this by myself. Our lead team cannot do this by ourselves. Our, our, our connect group leaders can't do this by themselves. We need to get together and to really start investing in the lives of new people and of people that are, you know, maybe just taking those first steps in our relationship with God. And you know, when we do that, God's gonna do some amazing things in our midst and in your life as well. When you invest in someone else, He's going to make you grow to the next level in your journey with Jesus. I truly believe that. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads right now. God, we come to you, Lord, right now. We thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you for your presence in this place, oh God. And, and that we can be a church, a covenant family together, Lord, that builds each other up, Lord. And God, we just want to pray for, for those who are spiritually mature, Lord, that you would give them eyes to see those that, that can be helped by investing in their lives, by speaking words of life to them, by helping them study your word and, 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 and make life decisions that are going to stay with them for the rest of their lives, Father. God, raise up those the spiritually mature people in this church. We also wanna pray for those who are brand new believers and the young people, God. We think there's so many young people at Thousand Hills and, and God, we pray, Lord, that there will be an eagerness to follow you, to, to, to seek after you with their whole heart and to go after revival, God, with their whole heart. God, you wanna, this is not an ordinary church, God, that you've made us a part of. This is a church that truly wants to impact our community, impact our nation, God. Father, help us, Lord, to take that step in, in Jesus' name. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, maybe there's some people in this room right now that they're saying like, hey, I want to I, 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 I wanna, I wanna believe in Jesus. I want to take that step to follow God, but, but I'm just not 100% sure if, if I can believe Him, if I can trust Him. I believe that God is saying to you right now that you can trust Him. Just like Charlie said earlier in the service, you can trust Him. You can walk on the water. You need to keep your eyes focused on Jesus right now. And he has an amazing plan for your life. The hurts and the pain, all the baggage that you've accumulated, this first, first part of your life, you can bring it to the cross. You can receive freedom and life, new life right now. It's gonna be a clean slate for you. There's going to be forgiveness of sins. There's going to be eternal life. There's going to be um, abundant life on this side of eternity. God wants, you, wants to give you the life the way it's supposed to be. If you're hungering for that, if you feel like God is a million miles away at the moment, but, but you want to experience His presence right now, you want to draw, draw near to Him right now, He wants to draw near to you, but it takes a step from you to, to, to basically say to God, hey, Lord, I'm here. I want to surrender to you right now. And if that's you, if you want to surrender to him, if you want to experience his love and his, his care for you right now, if you want to take a step towards him today, I want to invite you to raise your hand right now. I want to pray with you. I see a hand right there. I know there's some more people that need to raise their hand. Thank you so much. There's some, probably some more people that, that God is speaking to right now. Let's all pray out loud together, okay? Can we pray out loud? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus that he died on the cross to die for my sin so I can be forgiven. That you rose again on the third day so that I may have life, life abundant and life eternal. Today I repent of my sins and I turn to you, Jesus. 
I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand right now.